As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians and we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Before I uh, came to the north, and my first trek to the north was to Cairns for five years, I travelled with a few groups which represented churches that I was pastoring in as a youth pastor at the time. So we came up through the Tablelands a couple of times and uh, came back and stayed in Townsville, but because Townsville and District Baptist Church was here, no need to do further ministry, well covered, and uh, we spent most of our time in the smaller or uh, Mission to Queensland churches. So when I went to Melbourne for 10 years, after two and a half years, we decided it's time for a mission trip. So where should we go? Uh, let's go to North Queensland. And we pushed up through the centre, uh, did some outreach uh, in Hewenden, came across through Charters and then up to the far north. And we, we were uh, around the 6th and 7th of July on the, at this particular year, we were staying at treetops uh, in Cairns. And so we went to the Cairns Lake Street Church and did a service. We did morning services on the Tablelands and did a service at night. And there was a we had several young ladies with us, but there was a particular young lady who uh, was part of the children's program and then got up and sang. Uh, and there were a number of young men on that trip as well, and they got up and sang. And I can remember there's a barbecue area where they fed us a little bit later towards the uh, nine o'clock in the evening. And one of the young men whom I'd never met before from Cairns, comes to me, kind of sides up towards, beside me and says, who's that one? And I said, oh, that's Holly. And he goes, oh, how old is she? And I said, she's taken, mate. She was totally single. Until we returned from the mission trip when Matthew, another young man from the Mitcham Church, came to me one day and said, I'm going to ask Holly out. So he was one of the singers and she was one of the singers and they performed together uh, in a children's program. Uh, so they got to spend some preparation time and, and some function time and uh, lots of eating time and apparently some let's get to know you time and uh, they got engaged and now they're married with twin daughters. I remember in premarital, 
that Matt said to me. We got around to that topic, you know, the one that no one ever talks about, uh, birds and the bees or the knocking knees, whatever. And uh, so we were having the sex talk and Matt looks straight at me and says, I want to do this right, Pastor Gary. Gary, I absolutely want to do this right. But it's hard. And I said, well, Matt and Holly, let's do this right. What's good about sexual purity? The Corinthian church was dealing with a very real issue of trying to discern, even trying to know what's right from wrong. And there was a bunch of things that Paul addresses in this first letter to the Corinthians. And he launches into this next topic with a rather open and frank discussion around sexuality. Australia has recently followed much of the Western world when it comes to a discussion around sexuality. We've got a barrage of conflicting messages that come at us. And it's pretty tough for our young people to know what to think or to believe. And it's even tougher when it isn't discussed openly at home. Really, really hard if this topic, the first time you hear about it, is at school. Or essentially that's where you get your mindset for what's healthy. So today we're going to make an effort to discover what the Bible has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to make a really clear statement at the beginning, which I was able to say to Matt and Holly and to the 70 or 80 other couples that I've uh, actually ministered to in this way in pre-marriage. And if you're watching online, uh, specifically I want to say welcome to you. But some of what I talk about today, you may want to watch before you let your children participate. And yes, it's true that if we're working through 1 Corinthians chronologically as we are, it's unavoidable that you catch up with chapter 6. So here we are, and I draw the straw. Andrew, you've got the next one. Eventually, it's important to talk about sexuality in church. We've been introduced to lots of online and Netflix options over the last two years of media explosion. You are going to, as I am, face sexual or, uh, exploitation of some kind most days of the week unless you choose to go on holiday and all you've got is your cabin and your sand. Have you watched any television lately? Read any books or magazines? It seems that we're a society that's embraced a more open expression of sex and sexuality. And Christians are not isolated or insulated from its influence, which the Bible expresses is not of God. We'll get to that in detail in a moment. None of us are immune. There's a consistent message that sex outside marriage is okay. 
so long as there's consent. Inside, outside, anywhere with anyone. Legally, you can have sex with anyone, anytime, if there's consent and consenting age. Stay away from abuse and you're okay. I saw figures back in the early 90s when I was youth pastoring that suggested 83% of Christians in university were sexually active back in the 90s. Back when it was uh, very obvious but still relatively rare to see the kind of sexual exploitation in cinema or television the way it is today. It's always been there. But I guess the rising concern is how we, the Christians within society, have become desensitised. I've noticed that our desire for holiness is now more of an expression than a reality. And I think we're experiencing a continuing drift, actually running away from God. And that many of our valuable young people and older people have found a comfort fit in the secular society in which we've chosen to live, where righteousness and sexual purity actually doesn't have a lot of value. And I actually think we need to pause before pointing the finger because all of this has happened on our watch. And maybe we should reevaluate some of our teaching in the last 10 or 30 or 50 years and accept that it's never too late to address this change. Effectively, we've been infiltrated in the church, but God says no to sexual impurity. There is no other way. I'm not having a crack at anyone. I'm just as much a part of this as anyone else. And I stand here being judged. And I've done my best to teach my children and others' children to filter how they use social media and what they watch. As for me, I don't mind a good drama. But try watching Outlander or Vikings and before too long they're going to throw in a sex scene. And it seems like it's part of the normal in entertainment these days. And I spend most of my time on the sport channel. But I do enjoy a really good drama. I appreciate the story in drama. I love how we have the medium of movies and TV series and I enjoy them. And I am aware at least of what's out there to some degree. And I feel that we've become desensitised to this and maybe it's mainly due to changing norms. Society has changed and we're part of society and over the years we've sort of just changed with society. And so what's normal for us wasn't normal for us 20 years ago but it is normal for us now. God says no to sexual impurity. What used to be acceptable in censorship is now normal and acceptable in time. And people living together outside of marriage is just accepted as right. 
common law arrangements and the strong push for sex education, sometimes more like sex promotion in the schools, illicit sexual behaviour in entertainment. We accept these things almost if nothing is wrong. And it's not right. It never was right and it's simply not right. Even in recent years as a pastor, I've had way too many conversations, mostly with men, around the difficulty to control an overwhelming attraction to visual pornographic material. Men are, are visual and verbal. And it could be conversations that you have and maybe things that you listen to. It could be television. It could be relationships that you're in or you've been in. It could have to do with your computer use or your phone. It could have to do with your mind as you walk down the street or through the shops. It could be the clothes that you wear, the attitudes towards sexual behaviour that you have or are forming. And what we know is that God has a desire for sexual purity in his church. Today we're opening 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, uh, prepare them there, please. It's a passage of scripture that calls us to sexual purity. And before we read through this passage, I want to want, uh, make a very important statement right up front that I love being able to say to Matt and Holly, sex is not a bad thing. In fact, the sex drive that God gave us is a good thing. However, sex is something that God invented exclusively for married couples, for the relationship within a marriage and for their enjoyment. And as we've been working through the reasons that Paul writes to the Corinthians, we find that this is a society, the, the Corinthian society was pretty messed up. They've not been living in a way that's pleasing to God. And the church has largely found itself absorbed and affected by the various influences in their culture. And here in chapter 6, we discover that they're living in a morally bankrupt city, the port city of Corinth was a dangerous place if you had purity in your heart. And here it's a city that's known for sexual immorality. A thousand temple prostitutes piled their trade each night on the city streets and every imaginable sexual perversion was practised in the city of Corinth. And yet by the grace of God, there's a large number of people of Corinth who came to Jesus and found faith and their lives were changed. Unfortunately, and this is what Paul addresses, and we're going to see it so clearly, their past sexual lifestyle continued to haunt them. And the church of Corinth began to be known as a sexually loose church. So who they were before they were saved was who they were once they were saved. And there's something in the Bible that challenges that. 
Paul, who founded the church, was obviously disappointed by this. And he writes 1 and 2 Corinthians to show clearly what God has done and how he desires them to live. So he goes about teaching and correcting in lots of areas. And in chapter 6, it's this area. And he wants them to find God's design and plan for sexuality. So I want to take this passage and see how it might help us in the way we choose to live. There's always a why. If you've got children, you discover the word why pretty much immediately. No might be the first one, but why is a word that stays in their vocab for a very long time. And the Corinthians should have been a why do I stay living like this, asking question society. They should have asked themselves, why aren't I changing? Why were they living this lifestyle and doing these things? It clearly states the Corinthians, the Christians in Corinth, were sinning sexually. So I want to read the passage. Uh, Read with me. It's always better if you're reading your version, your Bible. But this is how it starts in verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So I'm going to break this down a little bit, but I want to come back to verses 12 and 13. When you and I act, we always have reasons for why we do the things that we do. Sometimes the reasons we have And the rationale we have is sound and good, and sometimes not. Paul addresses this issue of sexual impurity, and the Bible terms here is sexual immorality in verse 13, and it lists a wide range of sexual sins. We see a varied range of sins generally mentioned a little bit earlier in verse 9. So if we track back there for a second... We see sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, so homosexuals, 
and links these with sexual sins with, in verse 10, thieves, greedy, drunkards, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. There's quite a list, isn't there? Right? And I think it's healthy to see that broad list. So he's not picking exclusively on sexuality, which is sometimes uh, the criticism upon the church that wants to stand up for sexual purity, that, oh, all you ever worried about is sex. Well, no, God wasn't only concerned about sex. He has this broader list, doesn't he, which is known as sin. So sin is sin. Uh, The thing we need to say is sexual immorality is part of what God lists as sin. True? It's not there in exclusivity, but it's definitely there. And this issue, therefore, is not in separation, but it's an issue for the Corinthian church. So Paul deals with the issues that the Corinthians have. That's fair, isn't it? So let me summarise so far. None of this behaviour is acceptable in the kingdom of God. True? The Christians in Corinth, believe it or not, had reasons for doing what they were doing. And they were clearly at this stage rationalising this behaviour. And Paul says, no, this is not God's way. It's not God's design and you are bringing yourselves down. So back into verses 12 and 13, Paul meets them head on. He wants to deal with their feeble reasons for involving themselves in this sexual immorality. And I think it's relevant for us that these Christians didn't see that their lifestyle was in any way wrong. That's a good start point for us, right? Paul's addressing it. But from them, as they would have read it first, they're like, what are you talking about? Sexual immorality is just how we live. It's just what we do, right? We're we're Corinthians, you know, or we're Townsvilleites. We're Aussies. That's what we do, right? Paul's going, "Uh uh-uh. It's not God's way. They had their reasons that we see in verse 12. And the first reason, it's up there in in red, they cite Christian liberty. I have the right to do anything. All things were lawful for them in their thinking. And repeatedly, Paul had preached to them and to us. Uh, If we cite back to Romans 6 and 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. So they see themselves as in Christ and we're no longer under the law. The Corinthians took this teaching literally and way too far. And in isolation, without seeing how it fits into the whole purpose of God and God's redemption plan. And they became so liberated that they found themselves enslaved to sin all over again. And in these verses in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul doesn't rescind his teaching about Christian liberty. He just provides a little more explanation. He says two additional things to help the Corinthians. 
Not everything is beneficial or not everything is helpful. And I will not allow anything to master me. What's his point? Well, he's just putting it out there as a caution. He's asking, will you think again, what's God's big picture? And his deduction is, liberty and freedom from the law is not a license to sin. Does that make sense? So don't give me your liberty as an excuse for your immoral behaviour. Don't just say, I can sin as much as I like because grace will always jump in. No, God's law still, his law of order and his law of creativity and his law in terms of plan for redemption isn't rescinded when grace comes in. It just wipes out the penalty for sin. So let's not... I'm not going to, Paul says, I'm not going to swallow your idea that liberty means you can live as you like. The grace of God shouldn't be taken lightly, in other words. Do not abuse the grace of God and do whatever you like. And we can apply that to any sin. And here it's applied specifically to sexual sin. When God set us free from the demands of the law and free from slavery to sin, it was not that we can race out and do whatever we like because God's holy standards are still in place and we've effectively been set free from the law to serve him. We've been set free from the clutches of Satan. We've been set free to be free of sin. Isn't that beautiful? So those true statements trump how the Corinthians are wanting to interpret it so they can do what they want to do. The second reason for their lifestyle choices, they believed this sexually immoral lifestyle was natural and should be acceptable because of their humanity. Does that sound familiar? You know, sexual appetite and craving is natural, normal and needs to be satisfied. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food in verse 13. So let me explain their argument by setting it out real straight. Uh, For them, overt sexual behaviour is completely natural and normal. Just as you need to eat, so you need to have sex. Just as your stomach gets hungry and you satisfy your hunger, so when you get sexually hungry... You're supposed to satisfy your sexual urges. Uh, That's another excuse that they bring forward. Hey, we're only human. This is how we, you know, essentially, um, this is how you made us, God. So what are you expecting? Wow, right? Not sure if you've thought about it like that. But these are the two reasons the Corinthian Christians have given for their chosen lifestyle. So firstly, a pseudo-biblical reason, Christian liberty, and then a pseudo-logical reason, get hungry, feed the stomach, get sexually hungry, go for satisfaction. It's against these arguments and reason that Paul actually responds here. So right here, we need to acknowledge that we all give our humanity reasons for the things that we do that we know are sinful. 
I'm only human, okay? I think I've heard that before in my own mind. God's purpose is for us to worship him. Amen? God's purpose is for us to know him and worship him. So there's a reason why we should stay sexually pure or make a decision today to become sexually pure. Why should sexual expression be reserved for the marital relationship alone? Well, I think science has shown us, uh, societal figures and research has shown us that it's a whole lot healthier. That's a practical reason. God's design is healthier. And what do I need to do? Why should I clean my computer and not open up unhealthy sites ever again? And uh, as people who ask questions, it's important to ask, why should I stay sexually pure? And the Bible gives us a good sense and purpose for purity. So I have six reasons out of this passage for Christians to flee from all sexual immorality and abstain from any sexual impurity. The first one is our bodies. So all of us, right, our physical, mental, emotional and spiritual and sexual bodies were designed and created for purpose. And the purpose is relationship with the Lord and service given to the Lord. And you notice in verse 13, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Um, I'm yet to meet someone who can give me a positive argument that that means you can just be sexually immoral anytime, anyhow you want. Like the Bible is really direct on this, yeah? God created us and designed us perfectly to enable us to enter into relationship with him. And our sexuality is to be united with a life partner and enjoy the awesome privilege of being in his service. So when uh, you and I corrupt ourselves sexually and we go after the things of the flesh, even relationships that are forbidden, we violate our created intended purpose for our body. So God has a good reason for sexual purity, yeah? A perfectly logical, positive, good, blessed reason. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's the second reason or way that God designed for this to be good for us. There's a future purpose for our bodies. Remember that Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, resurrection, so we will be raised up by the power of the Lord. And if we look at verse 14, the future resurrection of our bodies and what we do with them points to the truth that our body must be important to God. What we do in this body and in this life is very important to God. Holiness is important to God. 
Purity is important to God. Our bodies are more than just expendable shells. They're an integral part of our personhood. And it would do us well to recognise that as Christians. And here's a third reason. We are to be sexually pure because our bodies are part of Christ. In verses 15 and 17, we are one with him in spirit. I love that one of the descriptions of the church in the scriptures is this idea of the body of Christ. When Jesus, as head of the body or head of the church, is, uh, the description is that we are all part of one pure body. True? So the connectedness of that for us as physical entities that God created is that we should do everything in our power to align ourselves with how God has created us to be. The language is pretty clear. Paul doesn't say, hey, I think it's a good idea that you stay sexually pure. The Bible says never should we unite our bodies to sexual activity outside of Christ, what Christ ordains. We are one with Christ. Sexually defiling ourselves is not an option. So Paul has a question in verse 15. Would Jesus go and sleep with a prostitute? That's a reasonable question in the context of what he's addressing, wouldn't you think? It's, it's a fair question to ask. Would Jesus go and sleep with a prostitute? Now, I'm going to say pretty large-scale error if you answer that question the wrong way. Rookie error, right? If you say anything else but never. Never, ever, never, never, never. Of course not. And you and I came to Christ and we united spiritually with him. We are so connected by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Our total person belongs to him and is part of his kingdom building program. So because we're united in Christ, we're part of him. We're spiritually connected. And this actually rescinds or reminds us uh, that God has a purpose for, our, for us, for our personhood, for our minds, for our bodies, for our sexuality. And we therefore must never associate our Lord with that which is evil. Agreed? I think it's interesting if I step back into the culture of Corinth again for a moment, we do see, we start to see in this passage the area of sexual impurity that these Christians have a problem with. Uh, if you go to the ruins of the old city of Ephesus, it's really, really obvious because the brothel is right across from the library. So in, uh, in these times, the, the brothel was kind of like the marketplace. <laughs> it was kind of the place that was central and that's things, life pivoted around that lifestyle. So the famous collection of books in the old city of Corinth is just across the road from the brothel. And as you walk that street, you get a picture of what lifestyle must have been like, right? 
of what was normal. And, and this is what Paul's addressing because Corinth is also a port city just across the water from Ephesus. So it's a big issue for the Corinthians, immersed into a society that saw this as normal. Here's my fourth thing. It causes personal harm to be sexually impure. We sin against our own bodies, it says in verse 18. So we should know by now that our bodies are precious to God and our bodies are very important. They're a sacred part of our personhood. And God made our bodies for relationship with him and to serve him. And in heaven, we're going to have glorified bodies. That's true. But that doesn't give us a reason to do whatever we can or shouldn't uh, to defile our bodies while we're here. When we sin sexually, when we not only sin against God and others, we sin and bring harm against our own bodies. It's an assault upon self and body. And um, I know this is arguable, but I have a personal belief that STDs, AIDS, various other difficulties in our world today are because of a, a lifestyle, a choice of lifestyle that imports these things. When we sin sexually, we sin against our bodies, which just so happens to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that brings us to number five. Remain sexually pure because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, when you and I turn to Christ, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us and to indwell us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, think about what that means. Since God dwells within us and we are part of him and the dwelling place of his Holy Spirit is within us, I reckon that throws a bit of responsibility our way. It kind of automatically produces a requirement upon us to keep his temple pure. Amen? And here's the final one. Remain sexually pure because your body is not your own. A slogan that I hear quite a lot certainly is my body, my choice. Have you heard that? My body, my choice. Well, God says in verse 20, you've been bought with a price and God's purpose is for you to glorify him in your body. We need to acknowledge the reason that God is such a wonderful saviour and acknowledge the outcome of wonderful salvation and live accordingly. So here we have a short summary. Our bodies are not our own. Neither are our choices in this context. We need to follow God and his purposes for us. 
we have become the guardians, if you like, of very important property, our bodies. For every decision ought to be surrendered to the will of God. I just want to kind of slow down, pause this as we conclude. Jesus gave his life for us. The Bible teaches that there has to be a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus shed his own blood to save us. In essence, Jesus purchased us and redeemed us from sin. Uh, Pretty raw language, but Jesus rescued us from hell. And the eternal consequences of rebellion against God. And that's an amazing, beautiful truth. It's an amazing reality. So I believe it's fair to say Jesus has a claim on my life. And Jesus has a claim on your life. And the next bit flows pretty seamlessly. If Jesus is who he says he is and I believe that he is the Lord, then I must surrender my life to him, recognising that my body is not my own. It and everything else about me should be surrendered to him and to his holiness. I think that's the summary of this, this passage that Paul's trying to say that to the Corinthians. I, I hear your pseudo excuses of biblical grace and lifestyle choice, grace, humanity. But guess what? I'm going to bring you back to the Word of God and God's purposes. And that means you should live a surrendered life to the glory of him who saved you. I love Paul. (laughs) Lots of my compatriots are not so convinced about Paul. But I love Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit giving us these passages that give us no excuse to live in a way that is contrary to God's design. Just kind of uh, little bit by little bit, inch by inch, or loads upon loads, depending on how you're reading and how quickly you're reading. Pauline theology just does a shift towards correction in lifestyle for humans who want salvation and they want life their way. And Paul says, you know what? Enter into freedom. Choose God's way. Enter into fullness. Choose God's way. Stop living in bondage and give it over to freshness, newness, holiness, righteousness and goodness because that actually does your body so much good. So my conclusion... One flesh experiences and sexual expression is intended solely for the marital relationship. So we must get away from sexual immorality. As Joseph ran out of Potiphar's house because of Potiphar's kind of sexually wayward wife, so we need to run from sexual immorality if and when we need to. The fleeing exercise will look different for a lot of us. For all of us, 
For some, fleeing might consist of putting your computer in a high traffic area. Stick it in a place in your house that everyone can see and putting internet filters in place or having a shared computer with your spouse or creating a safe space for your children to access the internet and the appropriate filters. And for others, it means that you stop heading to the shops with eyes wandering below people's necks. And for some, it may mean the end to a relationship or at least some significant changes in a relationship or getting your own dwelling place, get an apartment for yourself. I could go on, but I'm sure you all know that to live as God intended us takes choices. We need to make those choices. Common sense needs to be applied and good sense will create great boundaries. And if you are in the building today and you have the choice, resolve not to have sex before you're married. And if you are in a state of sin currently, I want to say to you, no problem. Because forgiveness is real. Just make the decision, seek the forgiveness and it's a done deal. There's times of refreshing when we repent of our sins. And you need to take heart that God indeed forgives and cleanses those who truly call upon him. I believe forgiveness is majestic and wonderful and permanent. And sexual purity is something that we really have to apply some effort. But oh wow, it's worth it. Will you stand for prayer? Father, as we stand in your presence today, we acknowledge your word. We acknowledge the pages, but we acknowledge the inspiration of your Holy Spirit upon the writing. And as we see in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addresses issues because he wants these people to live a better life. He wants them to endure. He wants them to be healthy. He wants them to experience joy and peace and comfort and the goodness of God. And so we ask for ourselves, Lord God, we thank you for the writing of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 to 20, and we ask your blessing on us for wonderful decision-making from, from this day forward. And in this moment, Lord, we ask that if you uh, there's someone here who would seek forgiveness, Lord, that you hear their prayer, that you hear their cry for help and that by the, the power of the Spirit of God that you give to them conviction and confidence to live a lifestyle that brings blessing to them and glory to you. We choose you over all other choices and as for us and our households, we choose to serve the Lord. Hear our prayer, Lord God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. The band was ready to go. They're so good. They're still ready to go if you want to sing another song.
but I'm aware of the time. 